Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks as in Sparks are flying, dot com. And when you enter your email, you'll be added to my mailing list as well, and you'll be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight I'm really excited to have as my guest a new friend of mine that I've known for less than a year, Ray Cohen. Ray is a professional counselor focusing on sexual healing, relationships, and polyamory. He's also a fitness trainer and coach and specializes in helping people with emotions that block them from exercising. He travels and teaches many classes with Amara Karuna, including sacred pelvic healing massage, heartbeat therapy, and rivers of love. Welcome to the show, Ray. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So glad to have you. And you're coming to us from Eugene, Oregon. Is that correct? Yes, Eugene is where I live now. Um, I've, I've been here for the last couple of years. Life on the West Coast nice. has been wonderful. That's great. So, Ray, I, I really enjoyed meeting you at the New Culture, um, the Network for New Culture community, and really appreciated how you show up in relationship and the presence that you have and just feel integrity from you. So I was really excited to have you on this show to get like a, poly, you know, a, kind of a stand-up polyamorous guy. That's how I think of you. <laughs> and um, I wanted to hear, <laughs> wanted to hear more um, talking about your path to polyamory, like how long you've been practicing it, how did you come to mm-hmm. understand and, and know that you were polyamorous, and what it means mm-hmm. to you in your life path. Well, I always knew that I was poly from a young age. And this is the interesting thing. Um, You know, I I grew up in an age where being poly wasn't even a word that was used. And um, and monogamy was such a standard norm that my desire was never to have one relationship, was to be in multiple relationships, even as friends. I never had a best friend. I had a group of friends that I was connected to. And even from a young age of 14, I had always envisioned group marriage as being an ideal. Um, it wasn't anything that I could talk about because of how out of the norm it was. And so as I went on, I'd always aspired to have more open relationships, and I found myself being pulled into the traditional route <clears throat> of getting serious with somebody and sort of closing down because that's what you were supposed to do, and that if you stepped outside of those boundaries, it was cheating. Um, so I always felt like a, you know, a square peg in a round hole. Um, uh, I married young and stayed married for 30 years. And during that time, lived basic monogamous lifestyle. Um, While always inside, you know, um, Ram Dass talks, um, uses a quote that he, I'm going to use a quote of his. It it feels like, you know, you're wearing this, I mean, I had this beautiful family with children and and everybody would come up and admire you. And it's like wearing this beautiful suit. And people walk up to you and say, oh, my goodness, you look so handsome. And what a beautiful suit. And, but, you know, the suit isn't comfortable. And it's itchy. And it's a little too tight. 
and you're wondering why you're so uncomfortable and everybody tells you how good it looks. <laughs> um, and so I spent much of my life sort of feeling that way about being constrained in a monogamous traditional relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some attempts, you know, um, I, I want to show respect to my ex and, and, and not talk much about what our path was together, but there were some, um, there was some experimentation and, and attempt to, to at least, yes, but the reality is that we lived a very traditional and conventional lifestyle. Um, so mm-hmm. when the marriage ended, it was time to put my money where my mouth was and to, and to step into poly community. And it was, um, and again, it was in a part of the country in Virginia where, where it was pretty secret. If you were going to live an alternative lifestyle like that, you had to be very, very um, quiet about it. So mm-hmm. I did find poly community and I began to experiment and found that I finally felt normal. Um, I developed a long-term relationship with a woman who was married, and that was one of the healthiest relationships that I'd ever had. Uh, mm. And it really redefined what I expected from relationship. There was no jealousy. There was no possessiveness. There was no ownership. There was all the things that I really imagined possible in a relationship that didn't have the constraints of depending on one person to meet all of your needs and feeling like this person owed you something because of because you were on this in this structure of a monogamous committed relationship. It was just this wonderfully freeing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I continued on from that point. Um, now my life kind of took some twists and turns. So I needed to make a big change in my life, and at that point. I chose to join the Peace Corps. Um, and route to the Peace Corps, I moved to the Big Island of Hawaii and moved into a community called La Akea, which is a network for new culture community. Mm-hmm. And really opened my eyes. Um, they have activities. This is a community that, is, that has a foundation of the idea that quality of life is based on intimacy and relationship and a working community that devotes themselves time and energy to working together. There are poly, many of the, in the community are poly. And again, mm-hmm. it was this wonderfully validating experience of what is possible. Now, mm-hmm. from there, I went to Uganda for two years to serve in Peace Corps and went back into a very closed society. So the contrast was pretty stark. And I mm-hmm. knew at that point that when I would be done my service, that this was really my more natural and authentic way of living, that when I stepped out of there, I moved back to La Kea and then moved on to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, since I've been here for the last couple of years, I've been very active in the network from the culture community. Um, I'm also involved in Sex Positive Portland and Sex Positive World. Um, I do the work that you referred to in my bio in the beginning, and it's been this wonderful transition and miraculous transformation of my life for the mm-hmm. last eight years or so, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so what does polyamory mean to you as a life path? So the word polyamory means many loves, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And the idea is, you know, one of the things that I always had felt guilty about in my relationship when I was married is that if I, I develop strong bonds with the people around me and I fall into intimacy and closeness and relationship fairly easily. And there was always this tension that if I became close to somebody, that, that somehow it was disloyal or a betrayal to my partner. And as a life path, one of the things that, that Polly offers to me is this opportunity to follow 
intimacy, to follow what I'm led to explore authentically in relationship. Now, that may have a physical component to it, and it may not. Some of my closest relationships have been, have been purely emotional without any mm-hmm. kind of physical relationship. But there's not a question of whether I am somehow being disloyal or betraying somebody by becoming close to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, one of, the, one of the metaphors that I use is sort of like when you have children. If you have one child and you have a second one, that doesn't diminish your love for the first one. There's plenty of love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not a finite resource. And the idea mm-hmm. has really been validated with me that if I allow my love to flow easily, I have more love to give. And the people that I'm mm-hmm. involved with and I have a relationship with experience the, the benefits of that. Right. Yes, I find that to be true as well. When it comes to love and sexual energy, the more, the more. The more it's flowing, the more there is to give. And so much of our monogamous programming teaches us that it's like a zero-sum game, that if you give it to someone else, right. there's less for me. And I'm one, well, I know you don't want to talk about – sorry, go ahead. Well, it's interesting that we use romantic relationships in contrast to every other relationship, that somehow that stands apart and alone. It doesn't work that way with friendships. It doesn't work that way with children. It doesn't work that way with relatives. You know, the group dynamic and community are considered a valuable thing, but somehow we make this exception that in romantic relationships it is based on a single pair of bonding that is exclusive of anybody else. And that never has made sense to me. Right. And when you when you were talk I know you don't want to talk about your your ex from when you were married just out of um honoring their privacy, but um when you were talking about that being in a basically monogamous relationship for 30 years, I started thinking about how you know, here you are, you're oriented as a polyamorous person from a very young age. You felt like that really made sense to you and yet you are really repressing this part of who you were to honor the agreement that you made, but what, what is the nature of that agreement? The agreement is that um, you would be bad. You'd be a bad person if you had sex outside your marriage, that there's such shame around our sexual energy. And so when you said you were involved in Sex Positive Portland, um, some people may not know what that is, but just that phrase, sex positive, just hearing that that phrase exists, I think helps people feel so much freedom because we are sexual beings. You know, I hate to break it to anyone, but we all arose from a sex act. <laughs> and right, so, right. So just like accepting that we are sexual beings and that this is part of our life force and our energy and removing the shame and the secrecy from it makes us more alive as human beings. So um, can you talk a little bit about what Sex Positive Portland is and what that phrase has meant to you? Well, sex positivity is more along the lines that however anybody expresses their sexuality, as long as it is between consenting adults and nobody's being abused or victimized, um, it's fine. So that there's room for everybody to have their expression. That includes monogamy, that includes polyamory, that includes people that are promiscuous, and that includes people that are asexual. The whole gamut of the sexual spectrum are welcome. It just allows the free expression of your sexuality without limitations and without judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, The way that Sex Positive Portland works, and one of the things that I've been really impressed with, 
um, is that they and, and, and Sex Positive Portland is part of Sex Positive World. So there are chapters in other cities as well, in the U.S. and abroad. Um, so the way that it works is that to be part of Sex Positive Portland, you must go through a series of educational seminars to learn boundaries, to learn consent, to be able to speak with people about STI status and testing and relationship status. Um, and, and once you go through that, those preliminary courses, then you're allowed to begin attending events that become more central in nature. And as you prove yourself as somebody who is reliable and is safe and is knowledgeable and, and has the, the skill set with which to negotiate sex-positive interactions with people, you know, to allow them their expression and you as well without violating boundaries, then you progress through a level system, levels one through four. And with each level, then there's an increasing potential for sexual expression. Mm-hmm. So as is level one, is just sort of meeting people socially where there's no touching. Level two becomes sensual. Level three becomes sexual without it being um, based on achieving a specific goal, orgasm or mm-hmm. intercourse. And then, mm-hmm. and then level four, anything goes. And there mm-hmm. are different events that are orchestrated around this. And again, it provides oh. a safer container that people can explore and meet each other and be in community together. Cool. That's really great. Thank you for that. Um, and when you were talking about you, you got into your first relationship with a married woman, it reminded me of a conversation I had yesterday with somebody who was considering working with me. And it was a single man who, who was considering dating as a polyamorous person. And that's exactly what I suggested to him. I said it, it might be a good first experience for you to find a married woman who maybe has a profile on OkCupid or something, um, and a, an open marriage where her husband is completely consenting and he may have other lovers, but that might be a really good first experience to be with people who have experience in polyamory and where there's real mm-hmm. clear a real clear structure that this woman has a primary partner, um, right? And you, you know you'll be included in that in whatever way you guys both consent to, but. Um, but what, do you think that that's a, a good um, possibly first foray or foray for somebody into polyamory? Mm-hmm. Well, it was exceptional for me, and it really brought – so I'm going to reflect on my own personal experience. Um, I had come from being in a very enmeshed relationship, raising three children and being very close for most of my life. This was my high school sweetheart and my first girlfriend, and as I'm coming out, one of my basic needs was for autonomy and independence. Mm-hmm. And so I was very clear that I was not going to allow a relationship to dictate the trajectory of my life and what I was going to be doing from that point. I needed to be with somebody who didn't need me and was not looking to me to fulfill those basic needs that we tend to look for in monogamous committed relationships, that she could give mm-hmm. me the freedom to come and go. She could give me the freedom to date other people and that there was no possessiveness. And that was so liberating for me. It gave me a chance to explore love without need, mm. which was the first time ever that I've had that opportunity. Well, I love that. Love now, without the, need. That's great. <laughs> yep. And the structure of it was really interesting. When I'd always had my internal ideas around poly, it had always been inclusive. I didn't want to go out 
and have a relationship outside of my marriage. I wanted to bring a relationship home and share it within my marriage. So that was always Mm -hmm. my natural tendency. And that was the idea that I had in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, This was a relationship where the woman and her husband had relationships that were independent of one another. And her husband didn't want to know me. Mm -hmm. He gave her full permission to do as she wished and supported her financially, emotionally, and otherwise to come and go to have her relationships, but he didn't want to be part of it. So, Mm -hmm. again, it was rather startling for me in contrast to what I'd always imagined. Mm -hmm. Um, And it worked worked really well for them. They had a healthy relationship that was solid, that that had little strife and little tension, and that they supported one another. And it was mm-hmm. beautiful. And, and his gift to me was to, was to allow me to have a relationship that was free and open and that was based on our sharing our mutual time together rather than taking care of each other's physical needs. Mm-hmm. So he didn't want to have other lovers? He had other relationships. He was much more open to his other lovers than he was to hers. So that was also something that challenged me. I always had this real tenacious attachment to fairness Mm -hmm. and equality. And one of the things that that introduced me to is working, developing agreements that simply work between the partners involved. Different people Mm -hmm. have different needs. She Mm -hmm. didn't have that need that he had. He did not want to be triggered by being so close to what she was doing. She just didn't Mm -hmm. have that same need and was happy to accommodate his other lovers. Right. Right. So it's really about the agreements that you make within your unique partnership. Um, it may look completely different to another, another group of people. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, the word polyamory is, just, is, is very vague. I mean, it means many loves. But there's just so many different styles that people uh, practice that it's hard to talk about poly as a single entity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you, have, you have committed foursomes and partnerships that are closed to anybody else. You have solo poly where people don't have a primary commitment to anybody and they do as they wish. And mm-hmm. everything in between. Everything mm-hmm. between. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the other benefits that you found in your life from being poly besides um, your experience of getting to love without excessive need? Um, well, there are a couple of things. First is, hmm, I guess what is most profound is that there's a sense of extended family. Hmm. Um, that as I'm connected to more people in a community and they're connected to one another, there's a closeness and an intimacy that has never been available to me before. And that was one of the things that was most profound for me at the experience of summer camp last year, that these people have been attending these camps now for 10 years, many of them or more, and that they've been lovers with each other and that they've known the lovers of their lovers and they're all friends. And there's this weaving of community that is, in a, that is intimate in a way that I've never seen. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it's not that it's free from problems, but letting those boundaries soften and allowing people to love one another freely allows people to love more and mm-hmm. the connections are stronger and the bonds are, are beautiful to see. 
So that's, that's one of the benefits that I see and that I've experienced mm-hmm. directly. Yeah, I'm um, glad you said that. One of the other- I've, been playing with, I've been playing with the word recently, tribal amory, <laughs> um, yes. which to, to me means that I'm sourcing my need for connection from a tribe or a community rather than trying to get it met from one, two, or even three people, um, but really from the whole tribe. And when I do that, I really think of it as a commitment to a community and it helps me really stay in integrity because this is not only my current lovers, but this is also my future lovers and my future metamors. So I could be having lunch with somebody that could be a future metamor years down the road. So I want to yep. really be in integrity and in love with everybody. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, so there's an integrity issue. I'm really glad you brought that point up. There's an integrity issue being in community. There's an accountability issue of being visible and being held responsible and accountable for your choices. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not that I'm stepping into another community which doesn't know what I'm doing, you know? Mm -hmm. So typically and historically when we've had secretive second relationships, we're keeping people from knowing what what we're doing from one another, you know? Mm -hmm. And so having Mm -hmm. this visibility and transparency allows me the opportunity to see myself more clearly Mm -hmm. and be held accountable to my choices and my behaviors. And as you mentioned, um, the different relationships carry different, carry different work with them. You know, my work in one relationship is not the same as, my, as what I'm called to in another relationship. I may have a strong mm-hmm. sexual relationship with one person. I may have a, a much stronger emotional relationship in another. And letting, mm-hmm. my fi- letting me find where that level is, what I'm drawn to do, without the expectations of what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, allows me to get my needs met in a way that I've never been able to do in the past. You know, in that, right. again, on the relationship escalator and in a solid, single, committed relationship, you're looking to one person to cover a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. And that's never worked for right. me. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And you were about to say another benefit about um, being poly. Right. Um, is that, uh, is that I really get to see where my blocks are. So because I'm not being constrained by a structure that tells me I can't do this and I can do that, I get to decide what it is that I can do. Mm-hmm. And I really get to explore intimacy and what is blocking my ability to be close to somebody in a way that is just based on what's going on inside of me rather than something that's being imposed upon me. Mm. And that gives me a reflection that I've never had before. Hmm. Does that make sense? Um, can you give an example? Sure. Um, so, again, I'm in a relationship. I'm in a primary committed relationship, and I get start to get close to somebody, and I say, oh, my goodness, you know, I have to stop this because, because this is wrong. And if we get any closer, then I'm going to be – stepping over some boundaries, some agreement I've had with my, with my mate, and this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And the contrast is if I step into that relationship, I actually get to see what's going on between me and that person without that external block. I can mm-hmm. say, what is preventing me from being close? Can I really be close to you? Or am I using mm-hmm. my primary relationship as an excuse to step back? You mm. know, oh, no, this is too dangerous. This is too risky. 
I really get to explore, okay, what is it that would keep me from being close to you now? Is it something internal? Is it, is it my fear? Is it, um, my, is it my concern of being judged by others? Is it my concern mm-hmm. of judging myself based on, you know, is this too much? Um, mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a number of scenarios that come up around that. It also mm-hmm. doesn't give me a quick excuse to step away from relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when, it, when it's secretive or when it's illicit or when I'm treading on thin ice with the idea that I somehow am doing something that is not okay, then it makes it a lot easier to say, this is not acceptable, I have to stop, when it becomes difficult. And when those boundaries are, are released, it means that the only thing that allows me or the only thing that will trigger me to step away from a relationship is something that is going on inside saying this is too scary and that I, 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 I take responsibility for saying I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Cool. Mm. You know, it, it kind of makes me think of a conversation I was having with someone recently about um, the more communication is the norm in a community such as new culture or sex, sex, the sex positive world cultures um, where communication is built in. People are doing workshops. They're learning how to negotiate boundaries. They're learning how to have safer sex conversations. They're learning how to navigate emotions. So there's a vocabulary and a skill set around that. The more that exists, the more we can have a variety of different connections with people. We can say, you know, I feel flirtatious towards you, but I don't want anything more than that, but I really love flirting. It's really fun. Or you can say, let's right. just go have a makeout session, and I really don't want to be touched below the neck. Um, and you can have just a makeout buddy. You can have a cuddle buddy. You can have – I have people I run into at camps, and we have, like, five-minute hugs, but we've never gotten – horizontal you know <laughs> um, uh-huh. and then of course you, you can go all the way to having full-on sexual relationships but if if you go to like a swinger club where there's loud music right. playing and everybody's in a couple you barely even make eye contact with people because they think if you even make eye contact that means that you want to have sex with them so there's this kind of bubble that everyone's in where they won't even look at each other and so that's uh-huh. an extreme you know and the other extreme of it means all we have is we, no contact or full-on sex, nothing in between. And I love that we, with the communication skills that we have, that we have this variety of intimate connections that's available to us. Does that make sense? Yes. So this brings me to a point that I didn't mention before. One of the reasons that I'm drawn to polyamory is that one of the goals of my life has always been to love more easily, more often, and with less obstacles. Mm-hmm. And as I practice that, I have to look inward. What is it that prevents me from being intimate with somebody? So my personal work is reflected in my polyamorous relationships. When I look at the people that I admire the most, the ones that can love unconditionally, that are not triggered so easily, the ones that are more accepting and less judgmental, that is what I aspire to. So that practice of being able to love more easily, more often, and with less obstacles is something that I really internalize and practice on a daily basis. What is it that's preventing mm-hmm. me from being close with you in this moment, in this interaction? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. 
So mm-hmm. if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. We're speaking with Ray Cohen, a counselor who focuses on sexual healing relationships and polyamory. He is also a fitness trainer, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. If you have any questions for Ray, please feel free to call us. The guest call-in line is 657-383-1132, and you'll be put on hold, and we will get to you when we have a pause in the action. Um, And it looks like we actually have our first caller. Are you ready to see what they have to say, Ray? Sure. Okay, great. Hold on. Hello, you're on Leading Love. Hi, Sumi. What's your name? I'm Dave. Oh, Dave. Hi, Dave. (laughs) Hey, Dave. Hey, Ray. You know who I am? Do you recognize me? I do. Absolutely. Uh Nice to hear you. Yes. Yeah. Good to hear your voice as well. Well, yeah, it's really resonating with the um, parts about, like, showing up for different people in different ways. Mm. And, like, you might have, like, blocks and not be able to really show up in a certain way for somebody, but if somebody else you can. And then you get to kind of expand your ability to show up. Mm-hmm. And then maybe in the future you can show up that way with somebody else, with that person too, you know. I, exactly. I really like that about having multiple partners. I don't get stuck. I can keep moving forward and learning how to relate better and better with all of them. But, in, you know, as we get kind of stuck in some relationships, I can kind of navigate around and get unstuck again. And you can also see what it is about a certain relationship that's triggering you to have to close down or pull back because you're not experiencing another relationship. And you get to see the contrast. And that, for me, is really valuable. So, Dave, do you find that – So, yeah, do you find, Dave, that you um, notice you're stuck in one relationship but not in another? And are you saying that – you can learn from the one you're not stuck in and bring that back to the one that you are stuck in? Exactly. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Cool. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions for Ray? Um, hmm. Yeah. Um, you were just out in Hawaii, is that right? Yes. Yes. And um, I was out there before you were there. And I, uh, I guess not really a question. I just wanted, wanted to talk, yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, I just wanted to say, like, how I really resonate with being in the community with lots of yes. lovers and people and uh, all these, these possibilities of relationships. And it just feels so good mm-hmm. to have all this challenge. Like, it's not all easy. It's challenging. I, I like it. Yeah. And, Dave, I'm glad you brought that up. There's something I want to say about that. Um, you know, there's, this, there's a notion among some people that polyamory is like getting to have your cake and eat it, too. You know, this idea that this is sexually free lifestyle where you get this hedonistic self-pleasure thing. And the reality is that you work your tail off in relationship because what you're looking is 
is for intimacy and closeness. And in order to be close with somebody, you have to be willing to work with what your triggers are and deal with what your emotional limitations are and work with what is between you and another person. So which means that's hard enough to do in one relationship. When you start multiplying that and having multiple relationships, there's a lot of time and energy that goes into processing and growing and, and trying to be present and deal with the issues that are between you and your partners. This is not an easy path. And it's not for the faint of heart. This is a, it's a fierce commitment. Yeah. Right. When I, when I came back from Hawaii, I really felt like I abandoned them. You know, I came back to my life mm-hmm. here, and, you know, it's hard to communicate all the way over in Hawaii. And I, I, like, I just feel like, kind of like I left them. I, don't, I didn't like the hell I felt. Mm-hmm. I, really got, I, I really got close and, and uh, felt committed to, to them and their well-being Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And I just can't yeah, we think don't of really have. More... Go ahead, Ray. I can't think of anything that's actually more worthwhile. You know, when I look at what I want to do with my time and energy, you know, being close to those around me is what defines the quality of my life. I certainly am happy of my, you know, proud of my accomplishments and enjoy my possessions. But when I look back, what my legacy will be is the closeness and the love that I've shared with others. And the practice of that, and that being the foundation of my day, ends up being what produces the most satisfying life I can imagine for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do get a bad rap that polyamorous people are just processing all the time, but uh, one of my mentors says, no, we get to process. We get to have conversations. We get to be intimate. And it actually kind of holds us accountable for that kind of communication that we can easily sweep under the rug in monogamous relationships and go for sometimes decades without really having to have the difficult conversations, wondering why we're unhappy. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Dave. really appreciate the the, uh, addition to our conversation. Uh, anything else you want to say before we say goodbye? No, thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay, we will see, see you, Ray. Yep, take care, Dave. Bye, Shumi. Okay. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. So, yeah, um, there are a lot of conversations that need to be had. So, Ray, how do you work with the emotions that arise uh, in multiple relationships, because they certainly do, um, when somebody feels like they're less important to you than someone else, you know, we call it jealousy or insecurity, whatever. How do you work with those emotions? Well, you know, this is the foundation of the work that I do as a counselor as well. Um, and I guess there needs to be a commitment to the perspective that when you are triggered or when there's something that is uncomfortable, that it's pointing towards something that is inside of you that you could take a deeper look at. One of the things that we are conditioned to, and many of our agreements in relationship are around, well, don't do anything that's going to upset me. And we come mm-hmm. up with this whole series of agreements that try to protect each other from getting upset. That also limits our intimacy, it limits our freedom, and it limits our ability to grow. So there's a balancing act. There certainly needs to be some ease in the relationship and a foundation of mutual compatibility. 
and mutual values, sort of a ballpark that you're playing in that works. But the reality is that we carry a lot of wounding with us. We carry a lot of old hurts and beliefs that limit our ability to be present and close in a present-day relationship. So when something comes up, the first thing to do is to stop and take a look at what is going on with you personally rather than pointing a finger at somebody else and saying, why are you doing this to me? So there's a fundamental commitment to this paradigm shift of taking responsibility for your own emotional reactions. Um, and then to be in community with others that share that value and that can help you see what's below the surface. To have professionals around you that are available, support that is in your life. When things start getting tough, that you have resources that are available to you. One of the quotes that I use regularly is that just because you're uncomfortable, that doesn't mean that something's wrong. And again, one of our trainings, one of our oldest judgments is that if I'm uncomfortable, then something needs to be done about it. And that may not be necessarily true. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to take a breath, to take a pause, and to step back and slow down and look at what's going on inside of you first. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think we build that muscle over time. We get better at developing that observing mind or that awareness part of ourselves where we can become aware of the right. feeling before it causes us to act in a certain way that we might regret later. <laughs> yes. And it also involves taking responsibility for your triggers. That, mm-hmm. you know, even... Even when, you, even when you need an agreement so that you can have that ease that I talked about, the reality is that you're mm-hmm. taking responsibility for it. You're not saying you're doing this and you're wrong and that's bad. You're saying, mm-hmm. gosh, this is one of my triggers. And, you know, I had this old thing that happened, and when you do this, it brings it up for me, and I'm, I'm really struggling. And I'm asking you, can you please help me here? Mm-hmm. Because I need your help so that I can have the space and the ease to work on this issue. Mm-hmm. And you see how different that is than saying, you did this, that's wrong, and stop it. It's not right. a contrast. And it doesn't have yes. the judgment built in. Yeah, exactly. To start from a place of, here's how I'm feeling, and right. um, you know, inviting the other person to be on the same team with you to work through your feelings so that they're not feeling like they're to blame. And making a request, a concrete request. Gosh, I really need your help. Do you think you can help me? And then they are at choice. Mm -hmm. Saying, well, maybe I can or maybe I can't. But it's not about them being right or wrong. And it's not about you Mm -hmm. being right or wrong either. It's a question of Mm -hmm. whether you have the ground, the mutual compatibility and the ground that you can work with. Mm -hmm. Right. One thing I notice a lot with the couples that I work with is that they tend to react to the other's reaction. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So um, they might feel, like, let's say a woman feels really upset about something and the man gets upset because she got upset. So now he Uh can't really support her in her reaction and then she gets mad at him for not being able to hear what's going on for her (laughs) so it just ping pongs back and forth and it escalates out of control so do you have any advice for people that might be noticing like for example I noticed 
people will lie. And that, why did you lie? Well, I lied because he would be upset if I told him the truth. So they're sort of, I guess right. that's a different thing. They're sort of taking care of the other's reactions, but really they're trying to prevent the other person from reacting to their reaction. Well, so what, I, what are you your know, advice for, for that situation? Part of my background and training is in holistic peer counseling, which comes from co-counseling. This is something that Amara teaches. Um, and when you are given the basic counseling skills, one of the things that you identify is whether you are, quote, quote, clienting or whether you're actually being in a counselor role. And when you're with a friend, it's really important to decide which way the energy is going, who needs the support. And when somebody is saying, okay, I'm having a trigger, I need help, then your job is to put yourself in a counselor role Mm -hmm. and not to take the attention away from what's going on with that person and bring it back onto yourself. And Mm -hmm. if you can't hold that space, then you have to stop and you can't pretend, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't become a tug of Mm -hmm. war as to who gets the attention and the interaction. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the beautiful things about co-counseling is that you actually develop a basic skill base on how to support each other in a way that's useful without giving advice, and without taking, becoming so triggered yourself by what's going on that you take the focus off of that person and then they continue to feel abandoned and unsupported. So the first person that has the emotional trigger, do they, in this model that you're talking about, do they need to have the awareness to be able to say to the other, I'm feeling triggered, can you hold a space for me? Um, Absolutely. That's part of your training. Okay, That's part of your training. Yeah, because if they don't, if they just act out, then that's often when right. the other person reacts to their reaction. Well, and, and that's, also, that's also an infringement on a person. For me, just to unload on you without permission mm-hmm. puts you on the defensive, mm-hmm. and it's triggering, right? I'm, mm-hmm. venting my, right? I'm venting my feelings without taking responsibility mm-hmm. and or asking your permission. So permission and consent ends up being a really important part of this process. Mm-hmm. If I know that I'm unhappy or there's something going on that I'm struggling with and you're my friend, I come to you and I say, I'm really having a hard time. Can you give me a little bit of time right now? Do you have, do you have the attention that you can give me right now? And then, mm-hmm. again, you're a choice of saying yes or no. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And if you say yes, then you take on the role of counselor. You say, I'm going to give you unconditional positive regard. I'm going to be able to listen actively. I'm going to be able to reflect what's going on without giving advice. And I'm going to take mm-hmm. on some of those basic tenets as your friend that is useful to you in working through whatever you're struggling with. Right. Yeah, these are really the core skills of healthy relating, in whether you're polyamorous or monogamous or anywhere in between, is bringing that awareness um, to your emotions before you act from the emotions, right? <laughs> yes. And, and again, this is, you know, when you talk about there being a lot of process in poly relationships, well, the hope is that you get better at this as time goes on. You get good at it. You practice it. You become more mm-hmm. efficient and effective in cutting to the heart of what's going on rather than struggling and thrashing and hurting one another unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of the reactive emotions comes from expectations of the other mm-hmm. to meet our core needs, our un- unmet needs, our frozen needs, whatever you want to call them. Um, if somebody yes. doesn't show up in the way that you think they should because they're your husband, wife, 
girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, you put all these expectations on them. Um, that's where the disappointment comes from, I think. And that also takes some practice to become aware of those core wounds and how they drive us to try to get someone else to fill the hole that really can't be filled by anyone Mm -hmm. else. I mean, it can be soothed by other people, but we're ultimately responsible for it ourselves, don't you think? And that's why I use the word triggers often. Mm -hmm. Again, even if I am directing this at you, even if I feel disappointed in something you have done, the reality is that I am triggered in that moment. And although Mm -hmm. you have triggered this reaction, my reaction may be about something that goes a lot further back than my relationship with you. You know, Mm -hmm. I had a difficult time in my family of origin. My parents didn't give me what I needed. I was wounded by a particular situation in my younger years. And now you're doing something that reminds me of that. And boy, that distress just comes roaring right back. Mm Mm-hmm. And I want to hold you accountable for it. If you would just stop doing that, if you would just give me the support I was looking for, then I wouldn't feel bad. Mm -hmm. When the reality is that it's a much deeper issue. And now you have an opportunity when you get triggered to see what's going on under the surface. Mm -hmm. And you may not be able to do that work with your partner in that moment, but at least you get a clue that there's something going on and it's time to sit down and look at what's happening. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you for that rich discussion about emotions because so many people feel like they can't do non-monogamy because, well, what if I get jealous? Well, what if I get triggered? And there are ways that we deal with that. And with practice, we, we can find a way to manage it. And some people just have too much trauma in their history and they can't. And that's okay. Yeah. Not everybody has, we're and not forcing okay. this lifestyle on anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And the reality of what you just said is that if you choose to do poly, you are going to get triggered. There is going to be jealousy. There is going to be all of those things. That's one of the reasons why we steer away from it, because it's just mm-hmm. too scary. You mm-hmm. know? That you, Be prepared that you're going to be looking at some of these issues as they come up. Maybe not all of them, mm-hmm. but at least some of them are going to show themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my next question for you is, uh, when you're looking for a new relationship, somebody was just asking me this yesterday, like what, mm-hmm. what, are, your deal, what are your deal breakers? What, what do you look for? What mm. questions do you ask when you're dating somebody to see if they're compatible for you? Well, we've been talking about some of this stuff already. So, so, because, so one of the things that I really like about being poly is that I don't go into relationships feeling hungry. Right. You know, when you're lonely and you have been at a deficit of attention and touch and intimacy, when somebody shows up that seems willing and generally in the right direction, there's a tendency to really want to <laughs> jump into it because you're so needy. Right. right. So I've been in a place in my life where I've really not been hungry for relationship. So I can take it slowly and I can explore whether there's compatibility mm-hmm. in a way where I can without feeling the push. Right? That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, yeah, so, so what I look for with deal breakers, and this is when I'm in the early stages of exploring a relationship, one of the things is, um, is transparency and honesty. Mm-hmm. That I require that you are willing to acknowledge what is happening and not be deceitful, purposefully misleading with what's happening. So mm-hmm. that's 
personal for me because I need, a, I need to be able to see what's going on. I need to, feel, to be able to develop trust and to be able to allow my bond to deepen. Without that, I mm-hmm. can't develop trust. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is what we talked about a minute ago is blaming others for your triggers. Mm-hmm. That I'm willing to tolerate a lot of upset and struggle in a relationship if I feel like you're taking responsibility and you're using this as a vehicle with which to see yourself more clearly and to try to grow. I will support mm-hmm. you. I will, go, I will go to great lengths to give you attention and space to thrash around if you're taking responsibility for what's happening. But mm-hmm. I, I am not willing to accept blame and responsibility for the fact that you're upset. Mm-hmm. Not easily. Not unless I've broken some agreement or unless I've done something that is clearly out of line with what we've agreed upon previously as, as a foundation for our relationship. Mm-hmm. So those are the two big ones, honesty, transparency, and blaming others for your triggers. Mm-hmm. You know, that dovetails with the – and the, the next part of that that grows from that is that when things get tough, when there is struggle that comes up, is that my partner and myself stop doing whatever we're doing and we face one another, that we don't run. hmm It's really easy to become avoidant. This is too intense. This is too difficult. I don't want to deal with this. I'm out of here. And that's really easy under the umbrella of poly relationships. So this is where it can get a little dicey because some people can use polyamory as a means of decreasing intimacy. If I have Mm -hmm. three other partners and things get rough with you, I can just go somewhere else. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. That's what so people. It, it yeah, really we get we get we get accused of that a lot by monogamous people that we're just avoiding intimacy. And some people do, you know. Mm-hmm. So this becomes a very personal question for you. What is your intention? And, and this is a maturity issue as well, because in the early stages of poly, it does seem like, oh, this makes it so much easier. I don't have to deal with all the crap. <laughs> right. I can just I can just go somewhere where it feels good. Mm-hmm. The reality is that that doesn't live very long before you run into the wall, you know, the obstacles. Right, right. Right? So you can't mm-hmm. use poly as an escape hatch to avoid intimacy and in the work of a committed relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? And that is a judgment call in the moment. You know, do I, need to, do I need to hold, well, how do I say this? Do I support you in holding you accountable to what your choices in doing and, and stay put and, and keep working with you? Or at what point do I say, gosh, this is as much as I can tolerate and I step away? Mm-hmm. Right? But I can't use my other relationships as an escape hatch to make it easier. I have to do that based on what it is that will allow me to do my work and to have the greatest possible intimacy in my life. Right, right, right. That's great. Now, there's another quote. There's another. No, go ahead. One more quick quote. Ram Das is a quote that I use all the time. And he says, we're all just walking each other home. Mm -hmm. Right? And what I'm really looking for are people that will hold my hand as I walk. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we're walking in the same direction. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we all have these wounds. Nobody had a perfect childhood. So no one's above 
getting triggered and having our core wounds hanging out. <laughs> right. So just for the sake of time, I want to give you a little time to talk about um, how your work as, as, uh, with exercise and lifestyle fitness plays into polyamory. Well, that's interesting. You know, uh, one of the things that, um, I mean, my own personal history, I've been in, in a very active lifestyle since my youth. Um, and um, there's a strong mind-body continuum. So what happens to you on a physical level affects you emotionally and spiritually and vice versa. All three affect each other pretty dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a continuum. So you can't, really, you can't really just sort of compartmentalize your body as being something different than your emotions. So as you take care of yourself, I mean, one of the things that we talk about with therapy and with counseling and with growth is self-love. How do I love myself better? Therefore, I'm able to love others. One of the most efficient, accessible, and profound ways of loving yourself is taking care of your body, of being healthy, of eating well, of exercising, of creating a lifestyle that supports you to be as strong and healthy as you can be. And you don't have to muck around in why you are the way you are. You don't have to go visit childhood trauma. You do something, it directly benefits you, you feel better, and you live better. And there's such a strong connection that when you are physically strong and healthy, that you are more emotionally resilient, that you have better discipline, and that you handle stress and struggle better. Mm-hmm. You know, and the converse is true, that when you're mostly upset, you're more likely to catch a cold. There's an interrelationship between the two. Also, when you love yourself, and this sounds overly simplistic, but, you know, taking care of your body is an act of self-love. And guess what? When you love yourself, you love yourself better. So even if you are flawed, even if there is self-criticism, even if your body is not perfect and you don't love what you see when you look in the mirror, when you take the time and energy to take care of yourself, you do love yourself more. You're more forgiving. Mm-hmm. You appreciate yourself. And you and you admire the machine, this body, this remarkable machine that serves you through your days so that your self-esteem is stronger and your ability to feel confident in relationship improves mm-hmm. and your insecurities become less. And all of these things are affected. Now, I could go on mm-hmm. for another 20 minutes about this, but I'm going I'm to be brief. But that, that's pretty <laughs> much it in a nutshell, Right. And that if you find yeah. that you're not able to sustain a healthy lifestyle, then you have that as an opportunity to see what's going on with you emotionally as to why you wouldn't take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's preventing you from taking the steps to living more fully, to, living, to, having, a, to having wellness in your life that, that, that is in all areas of your life? Mm-hmm. What are some of the common reasons that you find that people have a block to taking the time for exercise and shopping and cooking better food and so forth? Um, For one, it takes effort, work. Um, Exercise is uncomfortable. Um, There's a sense of unrealistic expectations of getting results quickly. We live in a a world and a society where – where we want quick answers and quick fixes. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that 
when you participate in a healthy lifestyle, this isn't about the short view of having some dramatic change that you can look at. It's, mm-hmm. it's about loving yourself better. So one of the things that happens and one of the most common problems I run into in, in fitness coaching is that, um, is that people want to believe the idea that if I just sacrifice, then I'm going to achieve positive results. And the reality is that you cannot achieve positive results through hurting yourself, through, through negativity, mm-hmm. through self-judgment, mm-hmm. right? So it becomes a different lens you look at it. How do I love myself better? Not how do I punish myself because I've been, I've been lazy and I've fallen off the wagon and I've gotten fat and look what's happened to me and now, by God, it's time to get into shape. Very few <laughs> people are excellent. masochistic enough, Right. You people are masochistic yeah. enough to make that work. They go on for a period of a month or two. You look at the biggest loser. Look at those people a year later. See how many of them have kept the weight off. None. Right? Yeah, That's not that. how it works. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's not how it works. Yeah, it's I not, appreciate that. That's view. excellent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time, so I, I want to give you a okay. moment to tell our, tell our listeners how they can reach you if they'd like to learn more about you. Um, and for people sure. in your area, I think you have an offer for them. So go ahead. Okay. So I, um, you can reach me at, at Gmail. So it is ad astra ray, A-D-A-S-T-R-A-Y, A-D-A-S-T-A-R-A-Y. I'm going to say that one more time. A-D-A-S-T-R-A-Y. R-A-Y at gmail.com. Now, do you give out phone numbers here? Is this appropriate to give a phone um, number? Yeah, over, we, uh, only have, we only have a minute, so just whatever you want to do quickly. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So it's 540-570-4792 is my phone number, and that's a better way to get in touch with me. I'm willing to offer 50% off. $50 introductory session for counseling to talk about all the stuff we've talked about today. Um, I also want to mention that I'm a co-organizer of the Oregon Tantra Festival, which will be happening June 14th through the 18th. It's a Friday through Tuesday, a four-day festival, conscious movement, ceremony, respectful touch, relationship and communication skills, and tantric practices. This is outside of Portland. It's a wonderful event. I've been co-organizing this for the last three years, and I really encourage everybody that wants to check it out to look up Oregon Tantra Festival. It's the only one. It's, you can Google it and check it out. we got a beautiful line of presenters. Um, this coming weekend, I'm going to – actually, the, the last weekend of March, I'm also going to be facilitating at Polytopia, which is in downtown Portland. Again, that is a term that you can Google, Polytopia 2019. So these are the events that I have coming up. You're welcome to reach out and contact me. Um, the phone number is the best way to get a hold of me. So, again, 570-4792. Great. 540-570-4792. Great. Well, thank you so much, Ray. I really appreciate you being on our show tonight, and I wish you all the best. Okay. Thank you, and it's been, it's been great to visit with you. Okay, awesome. Good night. So next week at 6 p.m. on Leading Edge Love, we'll be speaking with Sherry Froman, the creator of Earthly Erotica. So please join us.